You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. Hey, Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Hey, Mitch. What up, Mitch? Hey, Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Hey, All right, welcome everyone. We are doing a special Geekly Radio podcast that will be on both Televised Heroics and Hey Mitch this week. We are talking about the ultimate edition of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. And really, we're only going to be talking about the extended footage or deleted footage that were that was added to the ultimate edition. So, joining me this week, well, I'm Mitch, is Daniel Barroso. Say hi. Hello, everyone. G- Chris Jeetzy. Hey. Chris Franey. Hey, people. And a new guest... Uh, a friend of Daniel's and now a new friend of the show, Chris Sheffield. What's up, comic book fans? <laughs> All right. Uh, you want to give a little bit about yourself, uh, Chef? Uh, Los Angeles-based director, photography, film, independent, yeah, independent film director. Um, I got one movie out right now called Run for Your Life. It's like a little psychological thriller. And i um, working on my next one, uh, more of like an independent action film. I love comic books. I grew up more so uh, DC based than Marvel, um, but yeah, I'm just a, just an all over big fan of uh, superheroes being alive and well in our pop culture today, and being such like a big kind of a big uh, thing for a lot of people who aren't normally into superheroes right now. So I'm pretty stoked on what our generation has created. This is right. True. Isn't that awesome that the love of comic books is like a widely accepted thing nowadays? Like that is that's awesome. Dude, yeah, you can't. I can't tell you how many of my friends like, and these are you know these are like people like that live in LA that have never touched a comic book in their life. But I'm just like, I'm unloading on them like storylines and characters, and I'm like letting them borrow comic books and stuff. Now it's really cool. Yeah, it's funny because it's like when we were younger, it was almost kind of like the Clark Kent thing, you know, like you know, like somebody be like, oh, somebody left a comic book out, and your inners are like, oh, I want to flip through it, I want to read it, but you kind of were like, oh, people aren't accepting of it nowadays. It's like everybody. I'm Iron Man, you know, like people are like, oh, tell me more. That's just freaking awesome. Yeah, I got a buddy who's actually, he's a little bit salty about it. Like he refuses to go to comic cons and stuff because he's like, yeah, I remember when it was like four rows of comics and you get to meet all the writers and no one's there and everybody's embarrassed to be there. And he's like, no, it's like this huge thing. I'm like, I don't see how that's a bad thing. I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah, get more love in the room. Exactly. There's, like, life and capital on it now. It's very true. I mean, San Diego Comic-Con has become so huge that it's, it's almost like you I mean. It literally is Hunger Games just to get into it if you're just a <laughs> normal fan. But, uh, you know, comic books and comic conventions have become so huge now. There's one in every city. I mean, and they're not that far apart. So if you get to one that's somewhat a decent size, you can get to meet a lot of, a lot of creators. And uh, that's one of the things I love about Phoenix Comic-Con. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it is nice that we're down here in Arizona where we're getting a lot more comic book love, you know. I mean, there's at least 
you know, four or five conventions that you can totally hit before you have to exit the state line, you know? <laughs> and, even, and even with, like, the, 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 the Internet accessibility, I mean, like, it's awesome to know that today, you know, a bunch of stuff got dropped from Hall H, and, you know, I'm in my living room, and I can have access to that. That's, that's pretty cool. Well, that is true. I think it. I think it's one of the things that the Warner Brothers has learned that uh, whatever they're going to show in Hall H, they might as well just go ahead and release that day. Especially after what happened last year with the Batman v Superman footage and the Suicide Squad footage. So I don't know. I mean, they. I imagine the people in Hall H still got some bonus stuff that we didn't see. Well, hopefully. But uh, other than that, we got to see the trailers right after they did. So that's pretty cool. Well, there was that, that Ben Affleck nude moment, you know. He just took all his clothes off. And we, we out here on the internet didn't get to see it, but, you know. Oh, I saw Gone Girl. I'm good. I already, you know, yeah. I already seen his penis. <laughs> there you go. So. You just had to piece it all together. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I would like to find out first uh, what everybody thought of the theatrical version, just real quick, when they, when they first saw it. Uh, I personally did not like it. I thought there was it was very disjointed and... Uh, a lot of the story just didn't make sense. Jeetsy? Pure garbage. Okay. <laughs> uh, Daniel? I thought it was okay. Okay. Sounds good. Franey? Yeah, on my first viewing, I-, I was excited to see... I think I was blown away by the fact that, you know, Batman and Superman are meeting. Wonder Woman's up on the screen. You know, I finally have the DC Trinity together. There's hints of a greater universe, a greater story coming. So I relate it to a comic book fan. It's like, well, you know, most stories are told in six parts. So this is part one of something greater. So I took it with a grain of salt. Like, did I, did I have I seen the full finished project? No. But the issue I just read, a.k.a. the movie I just watched, I was good with it. I, I was happy with it. You know, I mean, could it have been better? Sure. But, I mean, overall, I didn't, you know, shake my fist at the sky. And Chef? Man, I'm glad you said that. I almost felt like a minority for a second. Um, I mean, I, I dug it. I dug it a lot. And I think uh, I came from, like, the same place where uh, it felt like a comic book to me. Like, sometimes we would leave conversations early and, it would you know, the line would be finished in a voiceover on the next panel, you know, stuff like that. Um, I think, like, if anything, my major critique uh, by the end of it was I wanted more. I wanted, you know, I wanted every scene to be a couple minutes longer. I wanted... Uh, to see more of what was going on. I, like, when I left the theater, I wanted a three-hour movie. And uh, I think, for me, as a rule, when I'm reviewing a film, if I want more of it, it doesn't mean it's a bad movie. It means it gave me something I really liked that I wanted more of, you know? So, like, I, I try not to I try not to be what I would consider, like, a spoiled fan, where, like, if I watch something, I can't... It's, it's not my place as a fan to watch something and say what it should be. I have to take what they give me and either enjoy it or not enjoy it, but I can't... I'm not going to watch the movie and then immediately tell like Zack Snyder how he needs to make a movie. I'm just going to see what he tried to say and try to understand it the way he tried to present it. Um, so I went in the movie with a super open mind because uh, I had already kind of people people around me know that I'm like a huge Batman fan, so I had already had like the oh man, like it's getting bad reviews kind of thing. So uh, I went in there with an open mind uh, and left, you know, satisfied as a fan. Um, then, like I said, I did. I wanted it to be longer. I wanted it to breathe more, for sure. That's awesome. I, you know, I, I that's I respect that wholeheartedly. That you that you enjoyed the movie, uh, and I've been in that boat too, where uh, I've had to go against the grain with people and what I thought was a good movie. 
Uh, so Daredevil I like, is still a great movie. <laughs> Daredevil, I don't know what people are talking with about. With Ben Affleck is a great movie. <laughs> Heck yeah, it is. <laughs> well, I'd also like the fact that we have two that are pro, two that are con, and one that's right down the middle with Daniel. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like like I said earlier, what we're going to be doing is uh, mainly just talking about the, the extended scenes or deleted scenes. And uh, what I found on ScreenRant.com is the actual list of what everything that was changed from the theatrical uh, version to the Ultimate Edition. So well, the first one off the list is Martha Wayne's Fate. In the theatrical cut, they uh, kind of pan away or cut away when you see the, the gun getting caught up in the pearls. Whereas in the Ultimate Edition, they also show that the gun is pointed right at her face. And uh, it looks like this was cut out, you know, just because of the darker image imagery. Uh, how did everybody feel about that? Doug? You know, I guess opening it up with that, it, it's another look at it. Like, I think it's kind of fun in, in the fact that a comic book, like, how many times do we see that image of the Waynes dying? You know, um, you can even go back to the last movie iteration where I, I, I you know... Um, the, the Batman begins, you know, how, how the fate of the Waynes goes. We know how it happens. Um, so it, it's just another point of view for it for me. Like, I didn't take much from the scene. I think the ultimate take for me, and this is in both editions, was the Thomas Wayne part. How he, you know, like this one, he's definitely more of a brute than he was the last time. So, I mean, the Martha part there didn't really add too much for it. I thought it was just another point of view. Like, okay, well, we saw it from this angle. Let's see it from this angle. Let's give it a second or two more. So, you know, nothing too major of an Easter egg or add-on for me. You were saying, Chef? I was going to say it's, it's great that he threw a punch. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, I, I agree. I agree completely. I don't think it, it – it didn't give me any more in the scene than I didn't already get. Um, I thought – like, when I first saw it, I thought the pearls catching uh, in the hammer of the gun was super cool. So that was that was enough for me. I didn't really need to see it point at her face, but I'm glad I did. <laughs> Daniel? Um, I guess it just gives more um, feel to the, you know, the fear that she's going through with the gun being pointed straight to her head then, you know, differently. But I don't know. I guess it's just a little bit unnecessary to see. I mean, we all know what's going to happen. So it didn't really do much for me. Chris? GT? Yeah, I I don't think it was necessary. I'm kind of glad that it wasn't in the theatrical cut. It really didn't need to be there. I don't feel it really added much of anything yeah I, i'm in agreement with everybody it's not it's not much of an ad um i get the idea that maybe it could uh come off as a little bit even more darker scene after even though it's parents dying uh you know a gunshot to the face is a little bit more gruesome so uh yeah i'd say we all in agreement that it's not it doesn't really add much to the mo- to the scene or to the movie and you know it's funny um the history of that scene the pearls that didn't come around until Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. And it's funny because once that came about, what, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns was like 1986. You know, so from 1939 you know, till 86, you never had that pearl aspect, and that got in there. And it's become such great imagery that I think it's pretty much present in every iteration of Batman's origin since Batman 89. Yeah, this is true. And, uh, I mean, obviously... As much as I rail against uh, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, it has added a lot to the mythology or mythos of Batman and the storyline, and that would be one of the 
One of them is the is the pearls falling to the ground. Uh, I just don't care for the story in the first place. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there. Frank Miller's a he's an interesting guy to read. <laughs> uh, the next scene they say is uh, Ben Affleck, or I'm sorry, Batman, Bruce Wayne getting to the Wayne Tower collapsing, and uh, you they have the added scene of the the kids on the field trip. So it, it kind of adds to the fact of why the little girl is right there other than the fact that her mother was up in the tower, that she was part of the field trip. Uh, you see them being led by the teacher hand-in-hand, and that was cut out of the theatrical version. Does To anybody, does this uh, make the scene any more powerful, any less powerful? Well, it's going to be great because that girl's going to grow up to be Wonder Girl, and now we have more of her backstory. <laughs> <laughs> so she's going to be uh, Donna she's Troy? She's Donna Troy. Okay. <laughs> I don't know um, if if you if they already have Jason Todd dead, shouldn't Donna Troy be a little bit older? Shouldn't that well be after Cassie zero Sandsmark? hour? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's think, funny. Um, there was a or, go, go ahead. I was gonna say there was a cool little moment in that uh, when uh, Affleck is he's cruising by those kids, and uh, one of the kids is like out of line, and he sort of like guides her back into the line as he's looking for other people to help. I think, if anything, that would be, like, my only takeaway is you get to see Bruce Wayne helping somebody else, sort of, like, just unconsciously being a hero. Because I think think it wasn't, like, kind of the idea that before that day he was still uh, maybe the what he would have considered at that point in his life, like, kind of a disillusioned hero, where he thought that there were still, like, reasons to be good. And then from that point on, it just kind of, like, gave him a reason to go downhill. Well, I think that's what... uh, I think that is one of the things that's kind of... um disjointed in the storyline is that you get these ideas that Bruce Wayne has been Batman for quite a long, quite a long time but then you don't under, like there's things that you find out that he doesn't know have happened or he doesn't understand what is going on and this is the first time he's ever heard of metahumans but yet he's been Batman for 20 years I, I it, to me that's one of the things that I don't really understand in his timeline maybe they'll get to get to it more in the Batman movie but or the Justice League movie, even, but it, it, I think that's one of the where the story the storyline drops. So I guess no Clayface or uh, Man Bat exists in uh, this universe, Batman universe, I guess. Uh, well, it's interesting because I mean, if you think about it, with Suicide Squad, we have Killer Croc, and you know he's a Batman villain, so there's an example of Batman facing metahumans. That's very true. So we'll have to see where all this falls in line. <laughs> I guess just, but in all honesty, I mean, if we think about it, Batman does have the reputation of being a very grounded hero, you know, like even though, yes, he faces Clayface, uh, Raz al Ghul. I mean, you know, one guy, look at what he's doing, but it still keeps Batman grounded. And when you think about it, cause I'm trying to remember in the, the, the Batman versus Superman movie, when they do the titles. And I think it's like when Superman, when, when the world learns of Superman, you know, part one, and, like, it is, it is a shocking moment, because at that point, you know, most of these people were explained because of freak accidents on Earth, you know, like, go go to the Marvel Universe, how do you explain the Fantastic Four and X-Men, forms of radiation, you know, but then Thor comes along, and it's like, oh, we have a god, so this is that moment in the DC Universe, the DC Cinematic Universe, where it's like, wow, you know, this isn't somebody who, who drank a a scientific experiment or was exposed to a radiation this is this is who he is this is what he is so i think it's in the grander scheme because you know spoiler alert but like the 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 suicide squad trailer 
you know, Amanda Waller today, she's like, yeah, the next war is going to be fought by metahumans. So even the world itself is starting to realize that these things are bigger. They're not just freak accidents. You know, it went from like Reed Richards to the X-Men. This is how people are being born. This is how people are existing. So I think that's like the big moment of massive change. So with that, you know, it's it's no longer just a Clayface guy. It's like this is Superman. You know, this is a guy who can move the moon if he wants. That's very true, and uh, and I think that's just where we're where we're, we're going to have to go with uh, the different stories in the DC extended universe now. So uh, going on to the next scene is the, our introduction to Jimmy Olsen, and in the Ultimate Edition, he actually introduces himself as Jimmy Olsen, photojournalist. And in the theatrical cut, we didn't get that. He, she, he's just there, and he meets up with Lois, and they head to the compound. Uh, I know Franey has been vocal on the Jimmy Olsen part of this movie many times in the podcast. Uh, how did you feel about him actually saying his name this time? It, it adds to the pain. <laughs> it's Superman's best friend, you know, like... I'm holding out hope maybe, you know, he has the Elastalad powers and, you know, the bullet just went through him and, you know, it bent his eye. He's not necessarily dead. <laughs> Anybody else? <laughs> I, I'm with Franny. It does, you know, add to Superman's pain just, you know, seeing his best friend. Well, he doesn't even... I well, mean, in this world, he's not. So it adds to our pain, not Superman's pain. Yeah, because yeah. we know he's Jimmy Olsen. We know what he means. But, yeah, Clark Kent Superman on DCEU has no clue who that dude is. Well, I think the thing is that with the the movie The Man of Steel uh, coming out, and it really, between Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, the timeline is really accelerated. So uh, the first person to discover Superman is Lois Lane, and I think he after that he doesn't really need any friends. He just has Lois. So, And you see in this movie that their relationship is really blossoming as, as Clark Kent and Lois Lane. So, uh, you know, the, the whole best pal uh, Jimmy Olsen doesn't need to be had. So since Jimmy never had that bathtub moment, that's why he doesn't deserve an existence. <laughs> yep, that's why he gets a bullet to the face. <laughs> Actually, I had a, I had an interesting, interesting theory, and I think that if they really wanted to save the Jimmy Olsen character, they should use this in the DCEU. Uh, when you first meet the character, he introduces himself to Lois Lane. Now, if we were to go with regular comic books, he should already know who Lois Lane is, or she should know who Jimmy Olsen is. What if he's just a CIA agent that's going undercover and used the name of Jimmy Olsen, photo, photojournalist? So this isn't actually Jimmy Olsen. The real Jimmy Olsen is just off shooting somewhere in, like, Beijing. So he's agent of Jimmy, J, period, I, period, M? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, no, a little I too agree. far. Like, that's, how, that's how I could totally see it, is that... that you know, the backstory is we do. We have a photographer who works at the Daily Bugle, Jimmy Olsen. So when, when Lois goes on site for this interview, you know, the, the CIA, CIA agent is being polite and introducing himself. He's like, I'm Jimmy Olsen, air quotes that we're not seeing. So it's like, okay, we get it. That's just a, a random CIA agent who was playing the part of Jimmy Olsen for the credentials. Right. I would be totally okay with it if we didn't have Snyder being like, Oh, you know what would be a really fun idea? If I had Jimmy Olsen, best friend of Superman, get blown away in front of everyone. Wouldn't that be a great way to start the film? <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to unfortunately break some of you guys' hearts here, but uh, I did a, he did a, a podcast with Empire, I believe, shortly after the release of the film. They asked him about that, and uh, that was one of the things he said, is that 
he wanted to make sure because like one of his major points uh, is that he wanted to do something new, not to like say that he was going to make anything better, but that like the kind of the concept of why do the comic books again, the comic books have already been done. Um, you know, like that if you really want the comic books, there's literally 80 years of them to read. Um, so he's like trying to do his own sort of like parallel story universe or whatever uh, version of these heroes. And uh, so he stated that the death of Jimmy Olsen was a concept that they came up with uh, when they were writing it to sort of uh, distance this world and these occurrences from things that you've already read. So that he was trying to make a point that this writing team is going to take liberties and have the freedom to create their version of the heroes, like their own sort of like myth of you know how the Justice League got started or how these heroes started. Uh, but he did explicitly state that that was in fact Jimmy Olsen. Um, who's, you know, uh, like, I, I think I remember, uh, there was like a, a article a while ago that talked about how he almost wanted to give Christian Bale a super small role in the movie just to remind fans, uh, with, you know, all the crazy theories that once again, this is a different Batman, this is a different world kind of thing. Um, so I'm sorry, he's not an agent, he's definitely was Jimmy Olsen and he's dead. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, like, I, I can see that and it's, it's funny because looking at the history of comics... Like, you look at characters like Jimmy Olsen, Snapper Carr, and Rick Jones. They're not used anymore because when you were a reader back in those eras, like, the whole, like, I I remember reading an article, like, they talked about the creation of Robin. And it's like, the main creation of Robin was, you are Robin. When you're a kid reading these comics, you're Robin. So that way, Batman's not always talking in, in, you know, these thought bubbles, or he's talking in a room with nobody there. He's talking to Robin. You're Robin. So when the comics continued, Superman got Jimmy, um, the Justice League got Snapper Carr, and the Avengers got oh, Hulk, and the Avengers got Rick Jones. But it's funny because, yeah, in Marvel, they did the same thing. They didn't, we don't, like, the, the movie fans have no clue of who Rick Jones is. The comic book fans know Rick Jones with his, his original old school podcasting. That's what got the Avengers together, if you sit down and think about it. So it's funny, and, and I could see that. And it is interesting. Like that, That's a good point you brought up there, Chef, with that, that article. And I like that because, you know, that keeps us, the fans, in mystery. Yes, we can always go back and pick up the Death of Superman trade and read that and have the classic story. But when you watch this movie, you get a different version of it, you know. So, hey, at least it's something different. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I don't want to, like be crucified by purists or anything i don't think jimmy olsen ever really brought anything to the to the superman comic that like you know drew me to the next page so i wasn't like super uh like sad or anything when he died i was like all right sure that's like the guy that holds the camera that you know throws some, throws some lines <laughs> the i felt more lost for the camera than the man <laughs> once jimmy olsen's line like half the time it's like where'd clark go so i'm fine with him not being there that's perry's line now Uh, we also during that scene we have uh, added footage of a drone being used uh, during the incursion at the the warlord's compound Uh, obviously this being added to show how warfare is being changed now into uh, current day as opposed to in the past Um, did that add anything to any for anybody or take away I just think it shows the, the 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 sinisterness of Luther and the government in this plot against Superman. I think it's just it's a good it's a good tool. You know, it's kind of like in the comic books when you know 
you, you would see like spider tracers or, you know, little electronic gadgets that would, you know, get on somebody so you can see that there's a connection to how this was foiled out later on. So to me, that was just a neat add-on to the overall plot of what the bad guys are doing. Yeah, there was a, like a really realistic element about that uh, in that the way that the government basically – so like Lois was going there to meet with somebody in the effort of telling a story. And like the purpose of her whole life as a journalist is to tell people stories who don't have stories uh, or you know who don't have a voice or whatever and try to like – you know, a journalist presents multiple sides of conflicts to humanize people that are being dehumanized by government factions and blah, blah, blah. So I think that it's it's super realistic that Lois would go there – um, under you know, with her own intentions of trying to like be a journalist, and that you know the government, uh, who we know is is already kind of like not the best government in the world in this universe, is just like sort of using her uh, her name and reputation as an excuse to get people out there and get a drone above their heads. Because um, if you remember, like the 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 whole thing in that scene, which I, I don't want to like jump ahead too far in like the added scenes, but the whole point of that was that they had teams ready to jump on that. Uh, and just demolish that place anyway. And uh, Luther's people, you know, kind of got in the way. Um, but, like, they were, like, Lois was going there to give an interview, and the, the government was there to take down a bad guy. And so I thought it was kind of cool that we were on the outside the whole time. Lois thinks that she's there with a photographer doing her thing, and we're watching, you know, from above her, and the government's talking about jumping in there and destroying the place. No, exactly. And it, it does uh, show how deep... Lex Luthor's plan actually goes when when making this movie or when uh, throughout this movie and the storyline that Lex Luthor basically creates he uh, not only knows that Lois is going there and knows that the government is going to be uh, attacking but he puts his own uh, mercenaries in there as bodyguards to the warlord so that they can eventually turn on the warlord and frame Superman for whatever is going to happen in this village Anybody else? Jitsi? Daniel? No. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, next thing we have is Gotham City versus uh, Metropolis State football game. Now, this is added in uh, basically kind of to show the uh, incompetence of the Gotham City uh, police officers. Either incompetence or apathy. Uh, to the fact that people are screaming and needing help nearby. They don't even go until um, the dispatch tells them that there's something happening. But we uh, there was a lot of much-anticipated rumor on the internet before the movie came out that this scene might include uh, young Vic Stone in it, who we know as, as uh, Cyborg. Cyborg? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's the part I felt that they, like... If, if you're sneaking in Easter eggs, that would have been a cool moment. Um, if you get a chance, if you haven't read it, go read New 52, Justice League, Orange, Origin. And, you know, they do show those elements of Vic Stone in his prime as a football player. And I thought that would have been cool if they put that in the movie that, hey, you know, he, he had a football moment. I know that kind of skews the timeline because considering Luther's got, you know, that he already designed the logo and name of Cyborg and was like, oh, let me keep this hidden file. But it would have been kind of a neat moment. Or maybe they could have had like, oh, this game today is dedicated to the, you know, to Vic Stone. It's been five years since his football career was cut short tragically by an accident. They could have snuck some kind of Easter egg in there that would have, you know, played to the later origins. I thought that could have been something neat for that scene because overall, 
you know, I obviously we've known the Gotham City Police Department's not the greatest because yeah. that's why you have to have Batman and you know his foot soldiers and all that. Uh, I think that they they it, I don't know if this particular scene of the football game pertains to later on when uh, Perry White is telling Clark Kent that he needs to go write the story about the football game because he says something about a a, a young athlete uh, hopes and dreams being dashed. So I would think that would be referring to Vic Stone because uh, he gets injured in the football game, right? Not that particular well, football game, but a football game. It could game. have been Michael Carter. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. It could have been Michael Carter. <laughs> that Easter egg will take about another 2,000 years to to come to fruition. <laughs> uh, but did, like, like, like Franey said, it does already... Um, we already know that the Gotham police are, aren't, the, aren't the best at their jobs, or at least uh, can be easily corrupted. So I don't know if it really does add any more. Thus, why they cut it out is probably the best reason for it. I, I guess maybe the, we were hoping Bane was going to come over again, you know? Hey, it's the halftime show. Here comes Bane. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> uh, it was also interesting that apparently Metropolis was up 58-0 to zero in that game. So it, it just shows more of that Metropolis is supposed to be the better city out of Gotham and Metropolis when they're both... Uh, in every way? When what? I was like, in every way? Yeah, in every way. I mean, they're obviously now twin cities, only separated by a bay, and uh, you can tell that one side of the bay is a lot uh, dingier and darker than the other side. So, okay, just just going to ask this out of curiosity. Why did Lois need to fly to Gotham when, you know, later in the movie she took a helicopter and she got there almost immediately? <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> the magic of movies. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever... When did she I'm sorry, go ahead. When did she fly to Gotham? I thought she only took the helicopter at the end. Uh, no, she took, uh, she bugs Perry about the plane ticket. She's like, uh, Coach Plus or Economy Plus is like, no, just Coach. Oh, that was oh, to that was D.C. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was Washington, D.C. Oh, that was D.C. Never yeah. mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> all right. Well, it, it was a good try, Daniel. It is like a 315 movie, so... <laughs> There's a lot of shit to keep straight during that runtime. <laughs> the the Jimmy Kimmel scene that added so many new elements. Let's add it and make it in. Um, next scene that they added was, or at least extended, was uh, the bathtub scene, and uh, I think really all you see is more shirtless Henry Cavill. Oh yeah. <laughs> Such a beefcake. That's to spice up the three hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> Keep the blood flowing. <laughs> the women need, you know, fan service since, you know, the guy's got two comic book heroes beating the shit out of each other. Well, isn't Lois the first nipple in the DC universe now? <laughs> I don't think that you actually see any nipples. <laughs> it came very close. It was, uh... came close, but I don't know if you saw anything. Actually, I might be a little concerned for, uh... Uh, what's her name? What's the actress's name? Um, oh, Amy Adams? Amy Adams, you know, her nipples aren't in the right place. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just like comic books. Sometimes you'll see a drawing and you're like, 
I remember anatomy taught me. I don't think the body can do that. <laughs> no, I mean, that's obviously, uh, you know, they, they were very careful with what they were showing and not showing in that scene. So, um, and I, I assume it really didn't give anybody any extra anything for the movie to see more shirtless Henry Cavill. You know, this is this is gonna sound super weird, but I was I was curious after I saw the movie because like when you do something like that where you you hype your your stars and how much they're they're gaining muscle mass and all this stuff like you talk about it in articles and in like you know men's fitness magazines and stuff leading up to the film. Um, I was I was kind of like at the end of the film that was like a thought I had like two or three days later. I was like it's kind of weird that really didn't like there wasn't a lot of moments where they were like showing off the physique of these actors. Like I mean there was. The uh, like the workout sequence uh, with Ben Affleck, but I felt like it was like you know a lot of dark shots and stuff. Uh, just say like versus uh, Man of Steel, where we get like two or three different instances where he was shirtless, um, which I, I just thought was like weird because you know like Marvel they do that. There's always like any time Thor is in anything, he's gonna take his shirt off at least once. Um, you know, Chris Evans, they'll get him in like the tightest fucking clothes known to man. Like they'll just paint the t-shirt on him <laughs> or do um, fucking muscle flex on the helicopter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought it was like weird that they didn't do that, but obviously they just they chopped them out because we even got a little bit of Batfleck, Batfleck ass in this one. So yeah, yeah. And this, uh, we got a, which set of body parts do we want to use? Yeah, that's true. I was gonna say that later on in the movie we did get a, a bat shower scene, and uh, you get to see uh, ben showering with justice <laughs> with, with justice. So uh, it was interesting to, to, and I think you're right. The Man of Steel, they had a lot more scenes where Henry Cavill was shirtless and, and definitely showing showing off his body. But uh, like you were saying with the Marvel characters, Paul Rudd and Chris Pratt both obviously had to have that you know obligatory shirtless scene because they aren't known for their muscles, so they had to have the scene where you're showing off the muscles. Yeah. You almost you almost wonder sometimes how much the actor lobbies for it. Like I do remember catching wind of. Uh, Chris Evans, when he was talking about the helicopter scene in Civil War, he's like, yeah, don't you guys want me to take my shirt off? And I guess the, the movie folks were like, no, it's okay. But it's like, you know, I mean, could you imagine any one of us, you know, we get cast in a film, you get this ultra physique body. I'd probably walk around naked all the time, you know, like, hey, everybody, I'm just <laughs> buying bananas. Don't mind me. Oh, my abs? Sure. <laughs> that, well, Would you like to touch one? <laughs> <laughs> all right, Marvel, get on it. Hire Franey. Put him in a movie, let him show off his abs. <laughs> yes. I'll even work for DC and Dynamite and Dark Horse. <laughs> no value. Sure, I'll do image. <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. I don't, I don't want to interrupt the flow too much. I'm actually, a, I'm sort of like uh, on like a vacation with my family, so I got I to gotta dip out here. Um, I'm like chilling in the car doing this. Hey. Um, but uh, I just want to get like real quick, just like an overall uh sort of like my thoughts overall on like the, the, the new version without like talking about individual scenes because I know you guys are going to break them down um, I loved it I loved the I loved all the extended scenes I felt like I don't understand how anybody could look at the ultimate edition and then the theatrical and think that those told the same story or presented the same uh, the same uh, kind of ideas because the ultimate cut had so much in there that basically like in the, in the theatrical version um, I was like, all right, uh, uh, Luther, Luther's weird, uh, and he got lucky. Um, in the Ultimate Edition, I'm like, okay, this guy is smart. He's planned everything up until this point uh, almost exactly, and he's leading these people, you know, he's leading these two uh, uh, great heroes uh, around, you know, with a, an invisible rope. Um, it, it really, like, it, it completely changed my view on his character and how he was handled. 
um, just by seeing the Ultimate Edition. Um, and uh, aside from that, I got to see Henry Cavill's back muscles and Ben Affleck's ass, which was like super important to the universe. Uh, <laughs> but oh yeah, I, I, I was super satisfied. Um, I'm very stoked for for what's coming in the future, and I hope the studio uh, and everybody else keeps their hands out of the out of the artists and just let them do their thing. Because if I had my way, if if they're making movies. Um, of you know my favorite superheroes, I'd love for them all to be about three hours long. Let's just yeah, no kidding. I can take that. You know, uh, you know what? I, I agree with you there, and uh, I have to say I greatly appreciate you being on the podcast. And uh, you know, if you, do you have a Twitter or anything that you'd like to throw out there for people to find you? Um, no, I mean I'll, I'll come on. I'll, I'll do a I'll do a full podcast. I'll, I'll earn my shout outs next time. <laughs> all right, man. Thank you again for uh, being a part of this. Awesome. Thank you, guys. It was cool to meet y'all. Good to meet you, too. Yeah, take it easy, Chef. Have a good night, hey. Sheffield. So, Hello? yeah, we're still here. So, I, the next thing I wanted to get to was the, uh, the, the Holly Hunter has a scene. It's basically their introduction to Lex Luthor. And Holly Hunter, as Senator Finch, has a scene where she comes on and, and she says, the man on the marquee and Lex Luthor in the in the theatrical cut, Lex Luthor says to us, you know, it's not my name on the marquee, it's actually my father's name, you know, Lex Luthor Sr. In the Ultimate Edition, they added in the lines where he talks about his father actually trying to uh, explain it away as that it actually was named for Lex Luthor Jr. He uh, tried to make it so that the company sounded like he was naming it after his son, so that he was building this empire for his son. And even used it as a, a catchphrase, and uh, I remember GT, you know, you know it pretty well. Oh yeah, when he was like, "Write checks for Lex." Checks for Lex, <laughs> and uh, even says uh, at one point, you know, taking money from old ladies who thought it was cute that a man was building an empire for his son. Does this give any more? <laughs> yes, it's Jarvis drinking water back there. Uh, but does this give any more? Uh, Jarvis is very thirsty. <laughs> insight to Lex Luthor's character and uh, his his background, his motivations. Do you think? You know, it's it's not something that's driving the film, but it's one of those things where you could take it as a little as a little feather and put it in your cap and build upon Lex Luthor. Like, is he telling that to Holly Hunter? You know, to Senator uh, I forgot a lot Finch, right? Finch, yeah. It, is he telling that to her as maybe something to like gain her trust? Like, oh, my company, you know, I, I'm real big with my father, and that's how all the Southerner folks are, you know. Like, is he trying to use that to persuade her over? I mean, it it's neat, but you know, it, overall, it didn't really give much. But it's one of those things where it's like, you know, maybe if, if you really sit down and analyze it, what is it telling us about Lex Luthor? What is it doing? Because you know, before before Chef left, he brought up something that I thought was great. It it did. The ultimate cut in, enhanced Lex Luthor. So that's one of those things as I sit and look at that scene and think about it, you know, it makes me question, is it just lip service or is he saying those words to Holly Hunter as a senator to gain something from her, you know? Well, uh, just from the added scene, I mean, I felt like he was a little bit more rapey. <laughs> and the added scene or the extended uh, scene with uh, Senator Finch, and also, they added the line, the whole, if I keep everything the same, maybe he'll come back. So definitely it gives more, I guess, more explanation just saying that he has daddy issues. That is true. That is later on in the movie where he talks about uh, how uh, we're all a world of orphans, and, and it, which is really interesting because of how both Clark, Batman, and himself all have lost their fathers in one way or another. 
And uh, I'm kind of with you on Franey. You kind of want to understand whether or not he is placating to the senator or not. To me, I I, I want to say that I think he just says things and he says weird stories because he wants people to, to know about him more than anything else. But obviously this character that he is that is being created in this movie plans everything. He, 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 he's planned out this whole movie is basically him planned out, uh, the demise of Superman or Batman, uh, all the way to the end. And, uh, I, I don't know why, why he tells that little bit of story or that, that stuff to, uh, the Senator or the two senators. So, uh, and, 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 and chef was right. It, this movie, the extent, the ultimate cut does, um, give you more to the backstory of Lex Luthor and when a lot of people say that it gives you a lot more to the motivations of Superman in, in the in this movie but uh, I would say uh, it's, it's, it's a combination of both yeah yeah I totally I, exactly it, it, to me I think the ultimate cut you understand the motivations of why it is Batman versus Superman and it you know because it's funny like the memes were out there with uh, Baron Zemo, you know, like, oh, December 12th, 19... Oh, shit, I forgot, 19-whatever. And, you know, like, or at least when Baron Zemo's like, well, I broke up the Avengers, what did you do? And Lex Luthor's like, I inadvertently formed the Justice League. But it's like, actually, no, he did a good job of putting out a war between Batman and Superman. So, you know, like I said, it's one of those things where you got to look at it in terms of the overall manifesto. Like, what is the purpose behind... Lex Luthor. I mean, it's like a it's like a chess move, you know. It's like, well, is he putting that piece out for a sacrifice? Is he putting, you know? So obviously, with him stating that, there's a reason. I just haven't wrapped my head around it yet. But you know, it's it's kind of like a comic book artist. You don't just draw something because you draw it for a reason. So that's where I'm trying to figure out what that dialogue is. Well, and I think you should definitely do that with when when you're writing a movie and directing a movie. Anything that you show or have the character speak should be something that furthers the plot i mean i but we have seen in the past other movies that obviously let that rule fall to the wayside there's uh scenes that are not necessary dialogue that is not uh helping any character whatsoever uh so you do have to wonder where this falls in yeah true the uh, one of the other added scenes is um the character of kahina ziri the African uh, from Nairobi that is giving her testimony to the Senate hearing. Um, she has there's added scenes of her doing interviews on television, so that she's in the Ultimate Edition. She's not just uh, a talking head that's giving vague, kind of vague uh, testimony at the hearing, but she's also giving a little bit more backstory to herself. Um, to me, her character isn't really in this part isn't really explained anymore later on we find out that she uh, was paid to give her testimony and make superman look bad and that her parents actually aren't dead so you have this scene so that you can have the other scenes i assume where you get to know more of that she was uh patsy and then eventually the scene that we we uh we ultimately get added is uh lex luther's man kg beast pushing her into a, a subway train basically tying up loose ends so yeah. what we're getting here is uh, the, the the culmination of uh, the culmination of her character and being built up all the way to the end. Yeah, I thought her scenes, those ad- now that's to me 
that's what makes this the ultimate edition because now you're seeing oh there was a plot they were trying to do something against um clark kent superman you know like that 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 part was that's something where it's like it's a shame that they cut those because i think if they kept that that would have added like oh the plot is cohesive in away from the film the, the film feeling disconnected i think that's what drives it to understand that okay there's larger forces at work you know we have this woman you know because she is she's the face of you know this crisis why we're looking at superman that'd be like in say marvel's avenger or captain america civil war you know when that woman meets tony stark at the elevator you know that'd be like you find out oh shit baron zemo paid her to be there that changes the whole movie but when she's there on her own volition that keeps the movie the way it was. So when we don't understand what that woman adds to the film, it was just kind of like you look at that scene alone, it's so just disjointed. But now with the other pieces added to it, you're like, oh, damn, Luther's a horrible guy. Like, look what, look how, look how deep it is, you know, and look how convincing he is to the United States government. Look how foolish the United States government is because they just believe the testimony of this one woman who, you know, yeah, her parents are alive. What the hell? You know, she's flinging mud that doesn't exist. True. And yeah, you're right. I mean, this is a, I think this was a key plot point that they shouldn't have got rid of, which once again adds to the Lex Luthor storyline more than it does to the Superman storyline. Uh, you get what, what you need for just the Superman part of the storyline of her uh, painting a bad picture of Superman with what they left in the movie in the theatrical cut. This added point shows in um, what Lex Luthor can do and is willing to do to bring down Superman for whatever reason it is that he has problems with him. Uh, also part of that, this whole part of the scene of this character being cut out, we got to see where she is li- uh, well, Clark Kent as his reporter persona goes to uh, her apartment to talk to her and ends up talking to her neighbors and he gets a little bit more backstory into the Batman, who uh, is a little bit more harsher vigilante these days than he has been in the past, as we find out from one of her neighbors. Well, you know, it's interesting, because, yeah, if you're talking about that, like, when the guy warns him, like, oh, you should leave because he's hunting, that could be maybe the guy, I mean, like, obviously, when he shows him the scratch card, he's showing the bat single, the bat symbol on it, but there's a chance that maybe... He's confusing the KG Beast for Batman, you know? So it's, it's kind of interesting that there's a chance for more misdirection. And I think that's what adds to the Ultimate Edition. That's why that seems pivotal, because now there's a chance for it's like, well, yeah, the people see this guy stalking, so they think it must be Batman, when in reality, no, it's Luther, and that's why we understand Clark as Superman is totally like, well, I'm, you know, Batman is done, put it away. You know, now you understand why they're fighting as opposed to like, oh, I guess they're fighting because the title says V. Daniel, what did you think about the added uh, bonus of uh, this character? I really um, felt like it was, you know, I agree with all of you. I felt like it was needed. I felt like very important, you know, part of the movie. It was a character that needed to be there or scenes that needed to be there to drive the motivation, you know, for those characters. GT? Yeah, I mean, I do think that that should have been there in the theatrical cut because 
you know, it kind of explains what's going on a little better. But at the same time, I almost don't think that we needed it because, you know, you can kind of understand that something's not right when she's like, oh, yeah, Superman came down and killed everybody. And, you know, there definitely weren't bullet holes in everyone. (laughs) Well, but what I like, though, is because you do see that those henchmen, those assassins or the bodyguards, they burn the bodies. So that's why you could understand people are like, oh, it was his heat vision that rained down. So I like that it, it adds to the mystery and, and, and the understanding of why people believe Superman killed, you know, why he did that. Right. You know, yeah, that's, that's right. And obviously uh, that's what we're supposed to believe since uh, the only bullet to survive is the one that's in Lois's uh, notebook. And obviously that's, that's more uh, that we, we get to see more of that with her trying to figure out where this bullet came from. Um I did myself, I know watching the Ultimate Edition, had that same reaction of, uh, one, how did this lady, like, we see her giving testimony at the Senate hearing, and she's already giving testimony of what happened, but then the very next scene uh, is Lois just basically coming back from the actual incident in her apartment, and she's, you see her actually taking the bloody clothes out of her, her bag, you know, this is the first time she's looked at her notebook. So uh, you, that's one of the problems I feel that ha- you have with this movie is that you, you have no real concept of time where anything is happening. If it's happening in flashback, if it's happening uh, concurrently, if it's, you know, how long it takes to get from one event to the next event. You know, to me, that's one of the one of the reasons why the story seems disjointed. Um, but, yeah, why is it that that lady is already giving testimony and they're already... If I mean, if anybody knows, we we already see it happening in our own government. Uh, just when how Senate hearings happen, you don't nearly you don't uh, none of them happen that quickly. So you got to wonder why if this is part of Lex Luthor's plan to have the Senate hearing so quickly. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it is true. It's like yeah, this woman's already up there testifying before a, a committee, and then Lois is just you know changing her clothes. Yeah, it's. It's funny because I almost I, I like this ultimate edition feels like I, I think we've all been there as comic book fans. Sometimes you buy a comic book and maybe you did it or the printer did it. But it's like you turned two pages and you're like, what just happened? This doesn't make sense. Like, I remember I think it was Armageddon 2001. I, I bought a newsstand edition of a comic and I read it. And for some reason, it was printed out of order. And I was like, that was such a weird story. And then years later, I got a direct edition and I read it. And I was like. Wow, that was so much better. <laughs> That's how this feels, you know, where it's like, oh man, you know, like there was a there was there was three pages in my comic book missing. Now it all makes sense. <laughs> no, it's, uh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's the, the it's, it's a very disjointed story, um, and that's when uh, we. That's why I think the I think that's one of the the reasons why a lot of people uh, that didn't like it didn't like it. Uh, yeah, because, you know, it's, it's funny because, like, for me, I know one of the reasons why I liked, you know, why when I left Batman v Superman, because I'm a comic book fan. So, like, I understand Luther is a sinister guy, but it's like I felt like when I was watching the, the, the Ultimate Edition, these scenes were the scenes that I had to put in my head to make the movie make sense. And it's like, oh, this is going to help. This is going to make it so much more connected. 
I think I, I definitely think that happened a lot with uh, with this movie, and that's the reason why a lot of these scenes were cut out because they already assume that a lot of people know who Lex Luthor is just from past Superman movies or you know just general knowledge of Superman. You pretty much, I mean, if you don't know anything about Superman comic books, you know Superman is a hero and Lex Luthor is his enemy. Uh, so yeah, that's why I, I, I that's one of the things I left the movie theater when I saw the theatrical cut thinking is that well they didn't throw in a lot of stuff to set up certain characters because they know people already know these characters it's like if you never threw in the Batman origin of his parents being killed you would know that you would still know that his parents get killed and that's why he became Batman because it's just a part of American mythology or American uh, uh, Americana which is what I'm trying to say yeah but that's true so it's funny, I guess probably maybe what could be funny is a lot of people left this movie and like, why wasn't Lex Luthor trying to do a land scheme? This is weird. <laughs> <laughs> See, but I think that's one of the biggest failings of this movie, both the theatrical and the ultimate edition, is that it does rely so heavily on people already being acquainted with these characters, but then it does things completely out of character for them, like... Batman killing all kinds of people and using guns all over the place. Like, that's something that is so, like... (laughs) Right? right? When Batman shoots people, they just go to sleep. That's what Alfred has told them his whole life, okay? They're just sleeping. You know know what's different, though? It's interesting. Just to throw this out there for for thought. When we've always seen, you know, the, the Waynes have been passive in their death. In this version, Thomas Wayne goes for the gunman. So maybe that's why we have a darker Batman. I mean, you know, like, like to me, what, what uh, like, okay, years ago, I watched the X-Men trailer. I was so excited. I went and watched the X-Men movie. I was so sad. My ultimate favorite Marvel character was put into a horrible trilogy that is still beaten, being beaten to death this day by Fox, you know? And it made me sad. And, but then I finally came to a conclusion. I just said, you know what? The movie is a what if. The movies are Elseworlds. So I look at that, so I'm like, okay. So, like, to me, I'm watching Flashpoint, you know. I'm watching something like that. So it's like, okay, maybe with Thomas Wayne, and I know this is a lot of me filling in the blanks for the movie, but I I feel like Thomas Wayne acting that way does make Bruce different. No, Batman never kills, you know. Even in the Frank Miller book, he says, we don't use guns. Guns are the enemy of the weapon or the, the, the weapon of the enemy, you know, items like that. But it's like, well... What would that effect have on a young Bruce Wayne watching his father be proactive? You know, it's like better to die on our feet than on our knees. You know, one of those types of things. So what kind of Batman does that make? I don't know, just throwing that out there. Right. And if they were trying to make that, then they should have thrown in something somewhere in the movie. Like some sort of dialogue between Alfred and uh, Bruce to that effect, to illustrate that to us. But they did. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's true. They should have. Maybe they just used that line. You know, like you know, hey Bruce, why the hell are you banding these criminals with your 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 brand of justice? Why are you acting this way? You know, well, better to die on my feet than on my knees. And yeah, that could have resolved a lot more with just two additional dialogues. Yeah. Yep. No, I agree with both of you. I, I definitely think that I I, I thought it, it hurt the movie so much that that they rely on everybody's pre knowledge of these characters. Uh, even to the point that I brought this up many times that no one ever actually says the name Wonder Woman. No one ever says the name uh, Diana, Pr- or really Diana Prince, right. throughout the whole movie. But yet we all know it's Wonder Woman. We all know it's Diana Prince. The only thing we get is a 
uh, stewardessing Miss Prince. Miss Prince. Yeah. Miss Prince. So that's a good point. I didn't think about that. That's true. Yeah, it, it, it's it's you're you're basing a lot of this stuff off of just what people already know, and you know. No one says Doomsday in the movie, but yet we all assume. I mean, it's a pretty good assumption that that's supposed to be Doomsday at the very end. That be, that was transformed out of Zod. Seeing his house Sucker punch, it was Bizarro. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of actually what it was. It was a Bizarro super... Uh, nope, Bizarro Mr. Zod. It's Bizarro Zod, yeah. Yeah, Bizarro Zod, Doomsday kind of thing. <laughs> Instead of Neil before Zod, he's always like, stand up behind me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I watched all the movies with the subtitles, so uh, uh, there was a part where, I guess, uh, Superman beats on Doomsday and actually says in parentheses, Doomsday grunts. <laughs> <laughs> so the the closed captioning actually gives it away that it's Doomsday, as you're saying. <laughs> and right before that, the closed captioning actually typed spoiler alert. It was kind of weird. <laughs> Uh, okay, so one of the one of the scenes that's added in this really it really kind of hurt didn't hurt me but it really kind of irked me I guess that's a good word for it <laughs> irked me uh, is when Clark Kent uh, is at the Daily Planet and he gets uh, or Perry White gives tells him that he's been invited to the the gala at Lexus place that's going to be for the for the library. And Perry says something to the thing that's added is Perry says uh, uh, some old charity crone who's got a thing for nerds because that's what Clark Kent is. He's a nerd. And, you know, the way that Perry says it is like like the way jocks say it to <laughs> people like me in high school. <laughs> this is where, uh, yes, I'm working some stuff out here. I'm just going to say yeah, you're internalizing you're internalizing that scene, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I am, but I just I, I really didn't think that's something that Perry would would say. It just seemed really out of place. But, you know, I like it because that adds to the draw of why Clark Kent isn't Superman. Because sometimes some people have that indifference. It's like, oh, you're a big-ass nerd. You can't be Superman. Ha, ha, ha. When in reality, the motherfucker is Superman, you know? So (laughs) I think that was cool. I like that. That it's like, you know, because, I mean, how many times have we been in that argument where it's like, no, people, like, it is possible to understand Superman and Clark Kent are not the same. You know, and obviously with the Christopher Reeve, uh, Brandon Routh Superman, they did a good job of showing the physicality along with the voice temperament. The Henry Cavill Superman is kind of like the Dean Kane Superman where it is. That one's just, it's a pair of glasses that changing him. He didn't change his hair. He didn't change his stature. He didn't change his voice. You know, and I like, I like a stronger Clark Kent because, you know, I'm not going to change who I am because I happen to save lives for two hours out of the day, you know. So I like that aspect that people just kind of have that indifference that, you know, the, 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 I mean, trust me, I remember, you know, being a nerd, you know, but I think that's what taught us to fight better. <laughs> so now you're like, all right, maybe that explains why Clark Kent's a little bit, you know, he's a, he's a buffer nerd. But I, I, I like that. I think that was kind of neat that nobody would put it past to be like, oh, Clark Kent actually means something? Because it even goes on later on, you know, like, who cares about Clark Kent versus Batman? Nobody cares about that, you know? No, you're, you're right. And I, I, I understand the whole part of we need to make, Clark Kent look uh, not like Superman. That's fine with me, but to have Perry White say it instead of say uh, uh, the the in the classic Superman stories, the the sports guy that always picks on Clark Kent. I don't remember his name. I know you'd probably do, Franny. Oh yeah, Steve Lombard. It is funny, yeah, because they do have a Steve. Maybe that could have been a scene where you get that actor to be like, oh, you know, stupid Clark. Yeah, that that's true. Okay, I'll give you that. They should have had maybe somebody else put that point out there. Yeah, that's that, that's that's all I'm trying to say is that Perry White. 
to me, should be the champion of the nerds because he's a, a newspaper editor, you know? <laughs> That's when uh, he, he pulls out two pills and he offers them to Clark. You can take the red one and go to the charity. Or you can take the blue one and... <laughs> and fight Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and thus, the blue pill, which was designed by Lex Luthor. <laughs> well, as talking about pills, we have... Uh, the scene that's been titled Bruce Wayne Pill Popper. So uh, in the theatrical cut, you, you see Bruce Wayne wake up after having his Nightmare Batman scene. Uh, and he, I think it's that one. Maybe it's the one where his mom, or the bat comes out of his mom's yeah, grave. Yeah, it's the, it's the bat mom. The okay, so the grave, the, 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 the mausoleum scene. Uh, he one gets, thing I want to add real quick, though. And this still, this is like, it's funny because I'm very much, I, I've been, you know, in favor of this film and whatnot. It just blows my mind out of all the suits and characters that we've gotten in this film. When the toy line, when, what is it? I think it's Mattel that holds the DC license. They're like, oh, we need to add one more figure to the Batman versus Superman movie line. What should we pick? I don't know. Let's make that damn man bat looking creature that came out of the mausoleum. Yeah, that totally deserves an action figure. Fuck you guys. I would have bought that whole line. Now I'm like, nope, I'm done. I've got all the figures I need. Fuck you guys. Damn it, Mattel. Why? <laughs> because they know you'd buy it. That's why. <laughs> and I didn't. For once, I stuck to my guns. All I have is Batman, Superman, and Angry Eyes Superman. That's it. They that only is- got me for three. <laughs> I even found Aquaman. I, I've been looking all over for him, and I found Aquaman. I was like, oh, shit, maybe I'll buy him because then I'll have Aquaman and Wonder Woman, and you know, I could start sprinkling my JLA. I was like, no, nope, fuck it. I'll give my money to Hasbro and the Marvel Legends Civil War toys. <laughs> At least those movies counted, and those toys counted. Good. <laughs> Good. I don't have a mini mausoleum to have my action figure pop out of. <laughs> well, now you can't reenact the whole movie. <laughs> I, I stole the Jeffrey Dean Morgan from the Supernatural line, and I was like, you killed my, you killed my uh, Laura Green Zomb- Walking Dead uh, Laura character. <laughs> <laughs> Why is Negan defending her? <laughs> Because Negan and, and Maggie have to go on to have Bruce Wayne, so it's true. <laughs> Multiverse. <laughs> uh, so as I was getting to in the theatrical version, he gets up from the nightmare. You see the woman on the bed, and he goes and has a cup of wine. Uh, but in this version, he also pops a handful of pills, and which I think is interesting because I, the last time I saw something like this tackled would probably be Ben Affleck's Daredevil. When you see uh, the Matt Murdock there take a handful of pills because uh, as, as I think what they're trying to portray here is a, if a normal man does this type of thing goes out every night he's going to have he's going to have problems yeah yeah I think that's a a side of superheroics that isn't too bad to see you know I mean yeah I'm not a father so I don't have to worry about my kids watching it but I think it's neat because I mean hell how many of us have gone out and you know like oh today I'm going to go hit it hard at the gym then, you know, you go out to the gym and you come home and you're like, fuck, I need a bear. <laughs> uh, you know, I, mean, yes, I fought four people at the gym. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I'm there. I, I understand why the scene is, is added. And, uh, and I was telling Jitsi this earlier is that I understand that you want to show that he is a man and he's going up against gods or, you know, he's a man and he's taking on all these criminal elements and it's going to take a toll on his body. But I just, I just feel like the Bruce Wayne that I've always read would not take anything that would alter his brain, that would, you know, might uh, cause a little fuzziness, because he wouldn't be at the top of his game. His brain is more than is is his his weapon more than any of his uh, 
his muscles would be, I would assume. Too bad, it already happened. No, but I like how you bring that up. That is true, because I, I could see Batman more or less like... Because, I mean, how many times do we remember reading comics where, like, Batman's got a big old gash and, you know, Alfred comes up and he's like, oh, you want me to stitch that? No, because it's almost like he's like, let me take this pain and learn from it. This way, when I meditate, when I go to that dark corner of my mind, I know how to fight it later. Right, exactly. Uh, uh, and, that, and that's and like I said, I, I don't, I don't hate, I don't hate the scene, uh, but this is one of the things that that is very particular about Batman that I, I really feel that uh, it, it takes away from his character or his rich history of character. What were you saying a second ago, Daniel? Oh, uh, there's a graphic novel right before uh, Nightfall uh, came out, where uh, and it's called Venom. Whoa, well, basically, uh, Bruce Wayne is popping pills, and he's basically popping the same kind of stuff that you know Bane was pumping through his veins. Right. So, I mean, obviously, that's that. I would imagine that scene is more telling you about how, uh, or that comic book, is, or that graphic novel. I'm sorry, is 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 showing the the errors of. of of taking pills like that, and obviously, what happens is uh, you get a character like Bane who takes it to the extreme, and you don't want Batman to become that. Well, and I like that because that that story. By the way, listeners, Batman Venom, go track that trade down, read it. It's amazing. Um, it'll make Nightfall that much better. Because, and actually, this it's funny because with Daniel bringing that to light, I'm like, man, that does show that. And it was a good learning point because then it leads to, as Mitch brought up later on, a Batman that is going to be like, no, I'm not even taking aspirin because I don't want to lose my cool. So maybe that point could be the Venom moment when he's like, you know, I'm taking these things. Then I have this weird premonition where the flash pops out of my TV. I'm not doing that shit again. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like the ring. (laughs) I mean, that's what happened to me last last Friday night. I was watching the CW and fucking Barry Allen popped out of my TV. I was like, I'm not doing that shit again. <laughs> okay, that's part one of our Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice Ultimate Edition discussion on the extended and deleted scenes from the movie. Tune into the next episode of Televised Heroics on Tuesday to hear the rest of the discussion. But until then, always remember to geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.